Good afternoon and welcome to today's Euractive event together with VDMA. We're asking the question today, how can we ensure fair industrial data sharing terms within the framework of the Data Act? Now, the Data Act was a long-awaited piece of legislation that aims to set out a way in which data can be shared within the context of the Internet of Things or connected devices, if you like. And the whole idea is to unlock the, unlock the potential of Europe and its innovative machine learning pop possibilities and to work out ways in which the data that we're all generating and that businesses are generating can actually help drive growth. Now we're going to talk about what that means for different sectors because it is certainly aimed at a business-to-business -business community. That's what people are viewing it as. But there are some consequences that we may not have foreseen and we're going to talk about those and what might be the impacts in the real world as this data act as it stands is implemented. To talk about that, I'm very pleased to welcome our representatives from the European Commission, Antonio Basson, Legal and Policy Officer in Data Policy and Innovation within DG Connect in the European Commission. Joining us from the European Parliament, Pilar del Castillo Vera, MEP, member of the ITRA Committee and, of course, rapporteur on the EU Data Act. Kieran Nuthi is a senior policy analyst at the Centre for Data Innovation. And Thomas Mann is chief information security officer for KBusinessCom and Heinzel Group. Thank you all very much for joining us. As I mentioned at the outset, this was a hugely anticipated piece of legislation. Antonio, perhaps you can tell us a bit about its coming about, how it arrived at the, the state we are seeing it in today, and give us a little bit of a, a history and the aims of the Data Act. Sure, yeah. Well, first of all, thank you very much for the invitation. It's really a pleasure to be here. Um, so as you actually well indicated, we've been working on the Data Act for quite some time now, for a few years, and um, it really comes at a very auspicious moment because it is as it was announced in the European strategy for data that was published by the Commission in um, February of 2020. Our objective is to ensure that Europe becomes a leader in the data economy and indeed to harness this potential that is uh, possible with the ever increasing amount of industrial data. And so as announced in the European strategy for data, we are moving forward with two pillars, which would be, uh, and they go hand in hand, which is this legislative, legislative approach, and also the financing of data spaces, also very important to keep in mind. And this is ensure, to ensure that we can handle data in, uh, in our European way. And with the Data Act specifically, we have found uh, the right balance between uh, opening up more data, but also preserving the incentives for continued investment in data generation and data technology. Now, we are currently facing in the data economy a new type of challenge because in the past, when someone bought a product, it was quite simple. You bought the product and that was the end of the story. But nowadays, with the advent and the emergence of Internet of Things and connected objects, there is data that is being generated by the use of said object and that data has value. But it's not always clear who can use that data. So the Data Act does precisely that. That It aims at clarifying who can use what data and under which conditions. This is 
the first chapters of the Data Act to deal with this issue specifically, but not only. The Data Act also deals with improving cloud switchability, also making um, more data available for the public sector. It also deals with um, data interoperability in the union. And there's a very important element as well with regards to uh, fairness, specifically in uh, business to business data sharing uh, that will help SMEs improve their negotiation position. So overall, the if I can just conclude this by saying that the main objective of the Data Act is really to ensure that there is a fair allocation of the value of data across all parties, across all actors in the data economy. So really, that is perhaps uh, just to bring everyone to speed on uh, the Data Act, and I really look forward to the discussion. Thank you very much, Antonio. Um, Pilar, as Antonio said, it's, it's a quite auspicious moment. Um, it has taken time. But Europe really needs this at the moment. We're trying to build back better out of, of a pandemic and, and various other crises that we see happening. So really harnessing this hugely valuable resource is something that we have to do. And by some estimates, around 80% of industrial data is not used. I mean, that is a huge untapped potential resource. Um, do you think the Data Act is the right instrument to get us there? That's right. Okay, well, first of all, uh, good uh, afternoon. Uh, and also uh, thank you from my side to Euroactive for uh, giving this opportunity again, uh, once more, uh, to uh, deal and uh, tackle uh, the, the data acts, uh, which uh, can be so much important uh, in the end. Well, first of all, I think um, I should mention that uh, we all agree that the data is uh, uh, fundamental for the European digital economy. I'm not saying anything new, but there's something. Sometimes you need to underline um, very basic things, and at the same time, data collaboration within and across Europe's industries will be key for future innovation and economic growth. I believe that the Data Act, in that sense, can be a game changer uh, if it enables uh, easy access to an almost infinite amount of high-quality industrial data. Uh, we must uh, always, we must always, for starters, take into account that this is a regulation that will be applied at the European level, avoiding the market fragmentation than uh, that uh, sooner or later, uh, sooner than later, I would say, uh, could emerge from individual and national legislators. Uh, being the main aim of this panel to focus uh, on the potential impact of the Data Act on manufacturing SMEs, I will not enter into the B2G chapter uh, of the proposal, uh, but uh, I would like to highlight, uh, highlight that I have excluded SMEs from the obligations of shared data free of charge with public authorities under the concept of exceptional or the category of exceptional uh, circumstances. Then, regarding uh, the IoT chapters of the regulation, I must underline that the main uh, principle is that the user must have access to the data produced by the connected products and related services, and consequently, to be able to share it. However, this is a statement that, as you can imagine, is easier to say than uh, done. Uh, the Data Act uh, might affect businesses uh, 
differently depending on products uh, they manufacture or they roll uh, in the aftermarket. I believe the starting point must be to clarify what IoT data falls under the scope of the obligations of the Data Act. I have to say that this was one of the main uh, concerns. There were a few more important concerns, but if, just a few more. Uh, but this was the first one when um, I start to uh, have a chain of views with a huge array of stakeholders. Uh, the definition of data we are talking about, uh, what is in, what is out, uh, needs a further uh, clarification. So, in my uh, report, I introduced um, what uh, I think at least was a very basic um, clarification added to the, what the Commission has proposed, such as uh, what is in, what is in a scope. In a scope are data in raw form as well as prepared data uh, that is data cleaned and transformed prior to processing and analysis in other words data that is pre-processed for the purpose of making uh, it uh, those data usable without however reaching the stage of deriving or inferring insights so what is out? What kind of data is out of the scope? Out of the scope are derived or inferred data. This means data resulting from software or hardware process, processes that calculate derivative insights from the data generated by the use of a product. Uh, this was very useful in terms of continuing with the debate and continuing with the, the rationale of all these. You know, that was uh, the starting point to, to, to clarify things related to data holder concept, to IP and trade secret protection and, and different uh, aspects. Uh, I leave it here, uh, this um, distinction. Uh, lastly, since uh, we are focused, and I want to go back to the SMEs, uh, to the um, focusing the, the debate on manufacturing SMEs, I must stress that I also have proposed to enlarge the exclusion of the data sharing obligations of Chapter 2 to medium-sized enterprises. Finally, I like to say that the data is quite groundbreaking. Consequently, the starting point of the discussion should be in this, in this particular area, the exclusion of the SMEs. Uh, now will be the time to study if the SME concept should be absolute uh, or if further clarification uh, with regards, uh, for example, market power should be introduced because that's another way of defining who is in, who is out in terms of uh, SMEs. But to finalize, I would like to add that uh, I plan to, and I am in that process, um, fine-tune uh, to fine-tune the report, and I am still working in two main aspects, uh, which are um, the, 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 the pillar in some way of all this, which is the concept of data, as I mentioned, still trying to clarify uh, in addition, and um, as well a more future-proof 
concept of data holder, which is another pillar of uh, the, the, the data act. So thank you very much. I leave it here. Thank you, Pilar. You've touched on all those big main points that we are going to come back and talk to you about in a little more depth. Indeed, data holder is one of the areas we want to look at how we're, how we're defining that and what that's going to mean in practice. Keir, obviously the aims are very laudable. Are there any downsides? And it's not a one-size-fits-all, although this will be across European uh, law, across all of the different member states. So what, where are there gaps? Where are there bottlenecks? What should we be looking out for? Hi, um, thank you so much for having me, and I'd love to get into that. Um, I think it's important when we're talking about the data economy that we talk about how much it's grown as well, so we can just get the sheer scale of what we're talking about. Um, by 2030, the EU data economy is going to cross the 1 trillion euro threshold, and it's grown on a year-over-year -year rate for a while now, accounting for almost 3.6% of European Union GDP. Um, that's why the Data Act is so critical. It's going to help boost the data economy by creating a clear framework for the internal market. Now, while it's clarifying what institutions can access and share data generated for customer use from connected devices, and it is stated to benefit European SMEs and consumers, there could be some revisions to make that even stronger. Um, to ensure what the Data Act says on the tin, I think there need to be some revisions to reduce barriers to entry for businesses, clarify legislative interactions, um, because I do worry that for businesses of all sizes, not just SMEs, they're more likely to focus on compliance and not innovation from the very beginning of the product or services design phase, um, which in comparison to international competitors, might burden the EU data market in a way that's unintended. And I would love to see more clarification in that space to make sure that the Data Act doesn't cause these businesses to face capacity constraints or stifle their own innovation or failure to launch their connected devices. I think the focus on how to incentivize small and medium-sized enterprises is a strong one, but size-based distinctions from my research field to be a little arbitrary. Um, and businesses of all sizes, including SMEs, are going to focus on complying with the entirety of the Data Act, which might make it harder for them to scale up and grow. We already see this with European SMEs struggling to get aboard the data economy. Only about a third of them have data sharing in their strategy. And when surveyed, say that they'd redirect resources towards compliance and away from innovation when faced with similar restrictions on their data sharing, regardless of how small or large they're getting. If we can find a way to reduce that compliance burden in comparison with international regulation, I think the EU could be incredibly enticing for productive SMEs, but that's just a clarification in the Data Act that could be made to make sure that we have a stronger EU data economy and a stronger EU data market moving forward. Thank you, Keir. Thomas, um, dealing with the security of data is a very uh, hands-on job day to day. Tell us about your experience and what you think the Data Act might mean. Yeah, um, as I, I said in advance, I'm uh, talking from the practical point of view to you. So my real life uh, consists of many situations where I have to share data, where I have to secure data. And uh, especially in the area of industrial uh, machines, uh, 
where you have a lot of uh, machine data, where you have the obligation to uh, get data out uh, of a production environment, to process the data, maybe uh, use the help of cloud services to optimize the data and optimize the maintenance cycles of your machines. Um, I think it's a big chance uh, that we have with the, with the EU Data Act because I think it will lead to more transparency. And transparency uh, means uh, if I compare to the um, data privacy, yeah, uh, that uh, there is an obligation for, for example, for a machine producer yeah, to uh, clarify what kind of operating data the customer can expect, um, which data could be processed in the, uh, in, in the customer environment. Yeah? And it will also lead to more transparency in the office uh, when the machine producer gives the customer the obligation to optimize the maintenance cycles, that there is uh, a clear picture about what is this data used for, how it is secured, how can we, uh, can we make sure that uh, there is no other use case of the data which is not in the intention of the, uh, of the customer. So these are all points that uh, have to be considered. And I would like to point out that the state of the art processing of the data is one of the most important things that uh, the data is uh, uh, confidential, yeah? that the integrity of the data is kept. That's one of the most important things. And before we heard uh, that uh, the internal processing yeah, data, which uh, a machine needs to, to run, yeah, this is something where the IP of the manufacturer uh, should be kept, that uh, the advantage uh, we have on the market, on the international market, um, is not in danger. But uh, the interface, uh, the operating data interface should be clearly specified that all the use cases which can be uh, given on that kind of data are transparent uh, to the user of that system. Yeah? And I very often have the situation that uh, producer of uh, uh, machines uh, come to us and say, okay, we can optimize the maintenance cycles. Uh, please give us that kind of data. And the problem I have very often is that uh, I have to specify the interface. Yeah? If there are systems which have a communication inside the production environment, yeah, that I have to have a clear border to make sure that there's no interference yeah, when I exchange data. Well, thank you, Thomas. Um, to come back to Antonio, I mean, Thomas alluded to it there. He mentioned IP. We've also got legitimate concerns from businesses around trade secrets. I mean, uh, what sort of safeguards are there? How much was that taken into consideration for business of all sizes, even before we get into the specific question of SMEs? Yeah, so this question around trade secrets and IP rights was actually, we discussed it at length with uh, colleagues in the Commission, specifically with colleagues in DG Grow that deal specifically with this issue on uh, trade secrets, for instance. And perhaps it's useful just to take a little bit of a step back first and consider here what we want to do with the Data Act. With the Data Act, we want to spur innovation. And it is stated quite clearly that the Data Act does not affect in any way, shape or form 
existing legislation at union or national level dealing with trade secrets. But since a company can unilaterally claim that any data is a trade secret, this could seriously hamper the effectiveness of the Data Act, specifically with Article 4 and 5, because it would essentially say that it would be impossible for the user to get access to this data because simply due to a unilateral claim that this data could be constituted a trade secret. So actually, what, do we, what, what is available for a data holder to protect itself? So of course, besides the legal certainty that is already provided for in legal and national law, the data holder can actually sit down with a potential user or a potential third party and agree in, on a contractual, technical, or organizational measures that have to be taken to ensure that this protection of the trade secret actually continues. And this practice of uh, exchanging trade secrets is not something that is new with the Data Act, not at all. It's a quite a common occurrence for companies, to, for example, to sign NDAs and then exchange this data this um, trade secrets. It's really important to understand that with the Data Act, we're not talking about with specifically articles um, four, five, uh, and six even, we're not talking about an open data kind of situation. And so many of the provisions that, uh, many of the uh, examples that Thomas was bringing up could be very interesting uh, practices that would be put in place to ensure that this uh, data is indeed um, continuously and adequately protected. Thank you. Uh, let me bounce back to you, Keir, and get your perspective on this question. Um, what do you think is the right direction of travel for issues around trade secrets, data protection, or, and as Antonio has suggested, these NDAs that people might use to get around some of the problems? Hmm. I think it's really great that the Act explicitly states that it shouldn't affect these rights. Um, but I do think that there is a way that there could be more clarity around how compliance with these restrictions will be monitored under the Data Act. Um, when I was researching and looking through the Data Act with regards to trade secrets and intellectual property rights, um, I focused a lot on what data holders have as like an ability to prevent uncontrolled sharing of their data. Um, I think that is a place where the Act could have quite a lot more clarification entirely because data holders who do really want to keep their trade secrets and their IP secure might be disincentivized from data sharing altogether if they don't have this clarity, um, which from an international perspective, I, I fear that if there's not enough clarity around this area within the Act, it could steer businesses who don't have the ability to staff people for compliance from launching an EU data economy, which would be, I think, the opposite of the ethos of the legislation. Um, so because of that, I think just a little bit more clarity within the act itself could be quite helpful in navigating how data that is subject to trade secrets can be disclosed moving forward according to the act, if that makes sense. It does. Um, Pilar, I'd like to come back to you. We're actually already getting quite a lot of questions in from our audience, so we'll try and get through a, a few of them. 
Carolina Walczak uh, from MasterCard is asking, could you expand on how to ensure alignment between B2B or B2C provisions in the Data Act and existing sectoral legislation that already deals with access to and sharing of data? For example, PSD2 and European data spaces. Um, just a little bit if you could focus on, on, on where there are overlaps and what might be uh, useful sure. for companies to know. Sure. Okay, uh, well, uh, first of all, uh, you, you don't mind, I would like to introduce some clarification of some of the points that was introduced uh, well by uh, the previous speakers. In the case of the clarification of, uh, in terms of uh, GDPR, um, this is, uh, all personal data uh, are referred to the GDPR. And with this data act or without this data act, all personal data must be under the umbrella of the GDPR. So in this sense, there is nothing new. I mean, you have to just behave as it is. You would do it regarding the GDPR in any case, even if the data act uh, is uh, not uh, in the scenario, in the scene. Uh, so that's on the one hand. On the other hand, in terms of um, trade secrets, uh, I am in the same line that uh, uh, the representative Antonio from the Commission, but uh, I, I think that uh, we have a definition of trade secret defense, which is the outcome of um, uh, international trade agreements. We cannot modify this concept. Uh, we have also to take into account that uh, the review uh, of uh, the Directive for Trade Secret, the European one, is not going to take place until 2025. So the key point is data. You can uh, say data, what data it is in, what data it is out. Uh, and, and so uh, starting, uh, for starters, I mean, the, the personal one are you know, apart because it's, you have to, to apply the GDPR, which I insisted in any case, you have to do it if it's not uh, under the data uh, act, it doesn't matter, all personal data, you know that it has to be derived to the GDPR or to be applied the the GDPR. Um, and then, since the difficulties to change the concept or say, okay, some of the trade secret can be, some of the trade secret is not. So the the way to do that, if we want to do this, to, uh, to, to have this uh, proposal to, uh, usable, uh, 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 and, and applicable, uh, you believe, we believe that all these amounts of industrial data that are under use, 80%, so I think you mentioned at the beginning, according to the Commission, and uh, this is, uh, you want, we want to open all this for innovation and give new possibilities uh, to the industrial data, uh, you know, to enter into action and, and reinforce the assets of the competitiveness of the uh, European Union economy and more precisely our industry uh, so this is something that we absolutely need not try to uh, go on with something like that is to be in the stage of business as usual i think more than ever now we cannot be in the business as usual uh, anymore i mean in any respect we can consider so this is because in my view this is so much uh, important imagine the number of startups of uh, innovative uh, small companies and not only that uh, in the aftermarket you find many many services and many uh, kind of uh, businesses that uh, they can really take advantage of it having said that 
I think the only way is to focus on, on the concept of uh, data. Mm, we have proposed a way, which is the way of the Commission, with further clarification, and still we can, as I say, fine-tune. But uh, in terms of um, uh, in terms of, of, of uh, you, sorry, because I went to other sites. You, your question was, can you repeat it me? Because I stay for a long time in the in <laughs> no the trade secret and the GDPR. <laughs> and the question was, how does it uh, work with other sectoral legislations that already deal with access to and sharing? Yes, yes. Su such yes. as PSD two, uh, this this side of thing rather than GDPR, which was a question. Pilar, yeah. you actually anticipated another question and answered it. No, already, yes, yes, you. yes. Sorry, sorry. Uh, maybe because I have to leave. Well, still in half an hour, eh? so we have uh, plenty of time. Uh, yeah, this is a horizontal, uh, as we know, um, regulation. It's trying to set the principles, principles that should have their own specification in the different sectorial um, uh, regulation that the Commission either has already produced. We have to think in the health sector one, which is now in Parliament. We have to see in the announce that uh, the automotive uh, uh, sector will uh, be uh, in place, uh, send it, I mean, uh, make it public by the Commission and send it to Parliament in a few months, and so on and so forth. So the idea is to have general principles that can be applied to different sectors. For example, in terms of data, these general principles can be applied to all sectors. These principles of the data that are in the scope and the ones that are out of the scope. In terms of data holder, which is one of the things more complicated because the data holder is not necessarily the one that um, um, develops the product, such as, uh, the, let's say, the manufacturer. Uh, it could be, I mean, uh, the, the data holder, one specific part of the product can be in, 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 in other hands in other companies, so the data holder is another, even you have a, a smartwatch, you have the applications, and imagine you go to, you know, any of those famous uh, companies that they have uh, smartwatches, you say, okay, I want uh, the data from this and this and this application, my data on this. So um, you cannot attend that. So the data holder should have a definition, principles, um, a definition in that sense of principles that can be applied reasonably to all kind of sectors. So this is because the difficulty, we are still working on that. I think the concepts of legal and concepts uh, to be the, 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 the to have the, the to be uh, um, the one that has legally the that and they have, that they have de facto uh, the, the possibility to, to get that is important, but something else. Uh, we are working. I don't want to really go further with this because this is something that requires every day, every day we are uh, working uh, with many also together with the Commission trying to also put for clarify uh, more and more uh, this. Uh, and uh, well, and in terms of uh, the application to the different sector, that is, I mean, this is a framework, framework that should be applied to be a, be uh, able to be applied to all sectors, and not forget that the same one that produced the first uh, version of uh, and, and developed the idea of uh, you know this horizontal regulation is the same institution that uh, is working with the sectorials. 
So the name is the commission. So they are not going to contradict, uh, you know, the himself in the, the themselves, sorry, uh, itself in the idea of, okay, this is a general one and then everything is contradictory with the sectorial one. No, this is uh, something that it is interrelated from the very beginning. So it shouldn't be, it shouldn't have a contradiction with that. Well, thank you. Thomas, a couple of questions for you. First of all, uh, do you agree with this uh, in terms of this sectoral, uh, horizontal versus sectoral approach? I'm, I'm very happy about the discussion. Yeah. Um, uh, I would like to bring in that uh, uh, I see a big chance yeah, for the industrial um, industry yeah, in the Data Act because the Data Act brings more transparency. Yeah, that's one of the uh, of the main points. Yeah. Um, why I did bring in the GDPR um, law was uh, because of the of the fact that encryption yeah, and state of the art technology, which is linked to the processing of uh, uh, personal data, uh, is something with which would also help in the Data Act. Yeah. The more data you exchange, the more data you process, the more you have the obligation to secure confidentiality and integrity. And um, when we are looking to the um, development yeah, of new industrial systems, if you specify the data which could be consumed yeah, from the customer, so the plant where this industrial system is working, uh, the better it is, so it's a big argument for selling that machines. So uh, that transparency will bring up a new data economy. And I think that's exactly that what's uh, the intention of the law. Um, why I was bringing in the IPR uh, statement was that uh, it's, it's very important uh, to enforce the machine producer to give the information what kind of data could be processed out of the machine on the customer side. And the more transparency and the more data which could be processed, the more um, value is generated out of that machine. And this is something which is really important. And um, on the other hand, yeah, if you have that data and you have a service which is processing that data, afterwards yeah, so the operational data which is pre-processed afterwards there should be transparency what what is done with that data yeah so the the processing uh, should be transparent yeah to the customer so machine on the other hand delivering data and on the other hand processing in the cloud for whatever purpose well, let me, uh, Thomas, build on that because we have a question uh, that I think might be relevant to you as it concerns cyber resilience and cybersecurity objectives in general. Um, is there a correlation, Karina uh, Stan is asking, for example, the scope of mandatory data portability includes diagnostics data, which raises cybersecurity concerns. Is that something you feel? Um, diagnostic data are part of operation data. Uh, so if you have a misfunction of a system uh, and you have on the operating data stack information, which gives you the possibility to analyze why this machine is not doing the right thing at the moment, this is also part of transparency. Uh, so the data stack uh, 
And I fully agree it's necessary to have that kind of data to do a proper operation yeah, and to, to get the, uh, the hint yeah, if something is working not properly, yeah, you should have the possibility to get that kind of data. But this is part of the definition of the operation data stack. Here, we have a specific question for you uh, from the European Digital SME Alliance um, asking, could you elaborate on why size-related exemptions are arbitrary? How can we create a thriving digital economy if not by easing the regulatory burden of startups and small businesses? Obviously, that's from the, the SME Alliance, so they have a, a, a strong, keen interest in this. Um, I think... <laughs> I think it's hard to explain in just a few sentences, but I'm going to try. Um, for the exemptions within the Data Act, I think there is a clear understanding that we need to be promoting how to get SMEs to competitive, innovative, and like globally competitive. I do think that that is a clear understanding of why there are carve-outs, but carve-outs aren't necessarily the long-term solution, um, which is almost entirely why I, I believe there's a different approach that the Data Act could have. The carve-outs, while they do allow the space to succeed um, in the short term, the Data Act does focus on finding out data sharing and how to comply with the legislation from the design phase of a product. So from the beginning phase of any connected device, conception, design, um, etc. of these products, businesses of all sizes are going to have to focus on eventually complying with it. The reason I say that is because it's a matter of wanting to grow. So in the sense of if companies desire to scale up in the future, they're going to focus on dedicating staff to compliance, increasing their expenses and other practices to comply with the data sharing standards of the Data Act, because from product conception and design, you're going to want to figure out how to make date, like the data required easily accessible upon consumer request. I worry that that much focus on how to get to data sharing can come at the expense of product quality because it can force some companies to focus on either re-engineering their products that they currently have if they want to scale up in the future or focus on compliance as much as innovation when they're starting their business, which internationally might not be as competitive as we want. Thank you. Um, Antonio, let me come back to you. There's a, several questions, as always, for the Commission when there's a new act on the table. Uh, this first one is uh, from Euro Geographics asking, how will the Data Act affect public sector data holders, particularly holders of high value data sets such as geospatial data sets? So thank you for the question. This isn't really something that is going to be dealt with by the Data Act. It's actually under the Implementing Act on High Value Datasets that will be uh, adopted under the Open Data Directive. So seeing uh, that this is indeed uh, data that is, of course, of very high value, specifically geospatial data, of course, um, although it wouldn't be under the Data Act that this data would be uh, made available for SMEs. 
or really for anyone because it is open data but seeing that smes often have such difficulties in getting access to high quality data getting this data from public sector and not only geospatial data of course there are multiple categories um, but that will be to the benefit of uh, in particular smes to drive uh, their innovation and on that point actually um i would like to just come back here a little bit and, and think about uh this SME exemption question, because I think it is extremely pertinent, not only due to the uh, discussion so far, but also with the title of this event, really. So it's quite hard to defend a position where this uh, access to data by a user of a product to the data holder of that product, it's quite hard to defend that position that it shouldn't take place. Because after all, the user is a co-generator with the data holder of the data. Because without a user, there is no data. Without the use of that product, of course. So it really doesn't matter how great the sensor is. You really need to have both actors, the product and the user. So when we're talking about the portability rights, we're really talking about a market mechanism. Because the manufacturer of that product will be quite intuitively in a better position for various reasons here. Because first of all, the user will have to use the portability, will only use the portability right when they cannot find a service with the manufacturer directly or they actually are unhappy with the manufacturer's service. And then also there is a question around the fact that the user has to overcome uh, its, well, inertia, right? The user will have to actually get in touch with a third party or a third party will have to convince a user so that the user activates that right while the manufacturer because they are placing the product on the market and can do, and can offer these related services at the same time they really don't have that same cost as uh, the other two entities so and also very important to remember here is that this portability right works both ways so a, a data holder which might be a manufacturer, might have to uh, make their data available, but they can also request data to be made available to them. So really, this is the main point of the Data Act is not really to just improve competition and to improve this um, higher quality of IoT objects. But it's also and specifically to give digitalization and to give the data-driven economy a push. And so manufacturers and data holders should focus on not only the products, but also developing good services. This will be the future of the data economy, it will be based on how exactly can you provide services to uh, potential users that aren't necessarily the ones who bought your products. And so since the data will be the key infrastructure for this uh, future, we shouldn't expect data, we shouldn't expect data holders to just hoard data and essentially monopolize uh, their data so that no one else can use it. This is quite um, philosophically speaking and even economically speaking, it would be um, working against the interests of uh, a fully, uh, to, to fully achieve the objectives that we um, are trying to put here on the table. And just looking at, for example, other sectors, which I think is quite interesting. Someone mentioned earlier a question uh, about the PSD2 
And in that regard, the banks were quite reticent towards uh, allowing for greater data sharing. But now they have embraced that lesson about how these uh, this increased data sharing can actually work to the benefit to their benefit. And so the manufacturing industry can also learn from here. And um, and so it, it's it will be something that will be uh, potentially a domino effect throughout various different sectors in order to improve horizontally our economy. I'll, I'll stop there. <laughs> I'm going to give you a quick follow-up question um, because it's quite a short from Gedri Galkaskaite. Uh, should we understand that data generated by the use of smartwatches are subject to the Data Act? I think uh, I've broadened that out into how is the decisions made on what is and isn't within the scope in terms of devices? Yes, so so, so this is a very good question. Um, so let's, essentially, we try to define it like this. The products that are in scope are the products that are essentially uh, generating or collecting information about their use or about the environment. And so in this regard, we can include a, a vast array of different um, technologies, such as coming from you know, uh, washing machines or factory uh, equipment, health devices. But then when we're talking about the exception to that general principle, we have to think about situations where there is, for example, the primary function of this object is, is to display or play content. So, uh, and usually this is actually highly processed content that entails quite complicated, com complicated um, uh, analysis with regards to the user-generated digital content that might actually be protected via multiple layers of copyright or intellectual property rights. And in that regard, it's, it's a, a much more complicated um, uh, unbundling of how the rules for for actually the user to get access to that data would work. So right now, that would be the split. It's essentially ones that um, they display or play content or also the ones who process, whose primary function is to process or store data, such as, for example, a, a laptop or a data processing service. Uh, so cloud, cloud processing services, for instance. These would be out. A smartwatch, which is perhaps a complicated object because it lies more or less in the middle. However, um, the understanding is because it has a very strong interaction with regards to monitoring uh, human uh, body uh, movements, for instance, there it has been placed, it would be make sense to put it in scope as well. So there will be, uh, you know, this is also very important to understand that this is not set in stone. There is in Article 41 the possibility for a review of these uh, categories. So actually in the future, there might be an assessment if the this differentiation is indeed to, to remain as it is, or if there have to be new types or categories of data that will be included in scope. Thank you. I think, and I hope that answers the question because I know this is one that comes up time and again, not just in today's debate, but in other debates and discussions around the Data Act. This uh, deciding what's in scope is one of the big ones. Thomas, let me come back to you again. Um, I wonder, could you uh, perhaps, as we've got a couple of questions that are tangentially or, or directly related to the questions of design, of product design. And I'd like to get your perspective on what the Data Act is saying about that, where problems lie, 
what you would like to see clarified um, as, as the actual act takes shape? Is there, is there things that need to be nailed down better in terms of definitions yeah. or clarifications? I mean, first of all, um, I expect that there is uh, a lot of work to do yeah, from the design uh, uh, point of view. For example, uh, we, ha we have a lot of uh, machine producers within the European Union, so-called hidden champions. Yeah? So uh, the product life cycle, uh, it takes some years. Yeah? And if you adapt the data model or if you um, uh, specify new things that takes time and that costs a lot of money. So um, this is one point uh, that the industry needs some time to adapt to that new legislation. And um, the other point is um, transparency, yeah, uh, that the customer who is buying that product knows exactly what he can expect. And exactly that point yeah, means that in existing products, you have to uh, review yeah, the data structure, you have to review the interfaces, uh, and uh, from the technical point of view, you need to design uh, uh, the new data structure. And this is effort, uh, which needs to be covered by the producer of such products. Yeah. And uh, in my mind, yeah, this will take some time to get adopted. Um, especially the hidden champions very often are not global players, yeah? they are niche producers, they have special products for special purposes, yeah? where they are world market leaders, and they need some time uh, to invest in, in their products, yeah? in the interfaces, to fulfill the need driven by the Data Act. Thank you. Um, Pilar, let me come back to you. There's a lot there that we've, we've been discussing. I don't know if you want to comment on any of that directly, but we've also got some questions for you that are coming in. Uh, Agatha Hildego is asking who and how should we make the distinction between prepared data and derived data? Um, another question similarly on the same subject. Should it be clarified that it's only raw data that we're talking about in scope? i.e. data that has not gone through a process of extraction, aggregation, and refinement. But if you could expand a bit on those different data types, what they mean, what still needs to be clarified, and where, and indeed what you're working on in the Inter committee in terms of the text. Sure. Sure. I will immediately, but I want to comment on, on, on Antonio's last question. Uh, you wrote uh, uh, to, to him, and I to him and, and Thomas, uh, on the on the time is needed uh, to be implemented and the kind of uh, uh, future redesign and all this kind of thing you need to to do to prepare for for this data to be applied effectively uh, so in terms of devices i think uh, um the difficult question i think it is, is when you focus on on devices is that uh, well we don't know in the future uh, what kind of what is going to be the function or what kind of devices? I mean, this can evolve extremely uh, rapidly, uh, and in that sense, it's much, in my view, more efficient and more useful to focus on data. I mean, data can be in one uh, 
uh, with uh, one content, another content, with one definition, with one specific features, in, out, but around data, uh, you can really solve better uh, many of the problems uh, you find from the trade secrets, uh, again, to uh, the type of uh, devices, for example. But, uh, well, I don't want to, to stay only in this point. In terms of uh, times that um, very rightly uh, Thomas mentioned, um, I think, uh, well, we are in that debate in Parliament. The Commission has proposed 12 months for the application of this uh, regulation. Uh, and that is not a directive, it's a regulation, so that should be immediately entering into force uh, in the time we decide that this has to, to be, and uh, it's going to be the debating parliament. Uh, what will be the final outcome of uh, this uh, uh, period, uh, you know, still is uh, foreseen in parliament, but the starting point is the 12 months of the, of the commission, always taking into account that we cannot, uh, you know, spend more and more and more, more time Many times we can really try to, to make an effort and going uh, through, uh, you know, in, in, in shorter times as much as is possible, you know, as much as is possible. Because sometimes from the very beginning when the Commission starts with the public consultation and, and even before thinking about this to the final end, I mean, you don't have the problem in place. You have new problems. And then it, it's, a, it's a pity, but then you have almost uh, restart again the, the reflection in order to give answer to new questions that uh, were not there. Um, uh, in terms of uh, in terms of uh, the clarity of the data, the question that uh, you mentioned on prepared data and raw data. Well, raw data means raw data. Raw data means uh, all the data you have. Imagine. Um, because the audience, some, many times, you know, in my case, I'm not an engineer. Uh, you can uh, use uh, examples that can be understanding, uh, understandable in a very easy way. For example, you have opinion polls. Uh, you have, uh, let's say, uh, 30 questions to 3,000 people. Uh, then you have the raw data. Everyone knows that the raw data is uh, any single uh, answer to some of to each of these questions that sometimes they have five possibilities to, to, to answer about. So the total amount of those data are the raw data. This is very simple. And what we are talking about, some kind of prepared data that can uh, make this uh, applicable, usable, uh, immediately transparent, something that is uh, really for for um, let's say, uh, play the role uh, that uh, they, they have to play. You just use the data to improve services that you can give uh, on the side to, to, to help innovation, to help researchers, and so on and so forth. So this pre-prepared data is the concept. So this is because you want to, to an agreement and you say, no, I want the raw data because I will start, I will discover and this and this and that. And I yet prefer to have the raw data. That happens in, in other areas many times. Researchers prefer to have the raw data and then work with the raw data, not so much with the more pre-prepared data. But this is a more, um, let's say, uh, 
uh, it, it is an, another kind of sector that we, we're talking about. And then the transparency, the clean data, and, and, and all these kind of things that can help to an immediate uh, uh, way of using those data, I think is important. Thank you. Uh, to be quite esoteric, I guess data or information isn't always knowledge, and we're talking about a knowledge-driven economy. Um, and I know, thank you, Pilar, for pointing out everyone. I'm pretty sure all our your active viewers are very familiar with the lawmaking process in Brussels. It's, uh, it's not straightforward and takes time. But of course, it does us, allow us debates like this at this juncture before everything is set in stone. Keir, let me come back to you. We, we've got a lot of points uh, on the table there. What um, would you like to raise or what changes would you like to see? Um, I would like to see a couple of changes with regards to how to bolster the European digital economy and EU small businesses. I think I have, I would love to see two steps. One is we remove the carve outs from the proposal. And then two is we find a way to reduce the compliance burden, all of which the end goal to be, I want to make sure that IOT businesses can enter and operate and innovate as successfully as possible in the EU market. And I think a long-term solution that removes the carve-outs based on size distinctions and maximizes the incentives to share data could succeed there. Um, that is a very abstract change that I'd love to see, and it could come out in a bunch of different ways. Um, the one main thread through all of those is going to be removing the carve-outs. Um, from an international perspective, I'd love to see some clarifications on cross-border data flows and data accessibility. I know that's not necessarily the main question of this presentation, but I think having a revision of that space could lay down the foundation for the European data economy and European SMEs to be innovative competitors and innovative heavyweights internationally, um, which would make IoT startups in Europe get off the ground quicker, faster, and compete with high-tech markets like the US, UK, and India. Thank you, Keir. I should say, of course, uh, Pilar had to leave us a little bit early, but we are very grateful for her input. Uh, she is a rapporteur, and she's uh, an extremely busy woman, so we appreciate the time taken out. Antonio, um, I think you had a couple of comments that you wanted to raise in relation to what we're talking about. Yeah, unfortunately, it was actually uh, related to uh, Pilar's comments regarding the prepared data and raw data. And I would just really like to uh, piggyback on that. Um, but unfortunately, she left. But nevertheless, I'm sure that one way or another, she'll get the message. Um, no, yeah. So it's actually very much in line with the intention that we had when we first proposed the Data Act, because of course, raw data, um, as uh, the rapporteur was explaining, these are kind of like automatically generated data points. And it's also known as source data or primary data, uh, among other uh, technical uh, nomenclature. However, raw data in and of itself, of course, has uh, limited value. And this is also quite complicated because nowadays, the more that you see the algorithms going directly to the data and the data being uh, cleaned or transformed as soon as it's generated, it kind of um, brings the question, uh, how can we exactly ensure that 
we respect the uh, proprietary investments that uh, data holders are, um, well, doing to ensure that this uh, product or the provision of the service takes place. But actually, and also at the same time, we want to ensure that data goes out into the markets or into the user's hands, potentially already in an usable format. And so that is essentially what uh, prepared data is. So we want to ensure that um, in situations where this automatic and often Im immediate uh, cleaning or categorization or classification of the data takes place, this data is still captured by the data act. And so it's also, we also want to ensure that we're not leaving out vast amounts of data that are actually uh, easily and readily uh, available to the data holder. So this is uh, the, the idea. Um, of course, there can be further refinement, but uh, what the rapporteur was uh, suggesting, suggesting is definitely in, uh, in line with um, our own intention. Thank you. Um, let me bring you back in, uh, Thomas, um, in terms of, do you have any pr perspective on, on these different types of data that we're discussing and whether we need clarification? Yeah, um, I would like to come back to the example with the machine. Yeah? And you have been talking about raw data. Yeah? Uh, if there is a clear specification requested from the producer of the machine, what kind of operational data uh, this machine can deliver, then uh, the possibility is given to um, work with all that data. So uh, the user has the possibility to retrieve the data, but there is no uh, obligation to, to use every kind of data which could be delivered at the same time. As I did understand, you say, this machine is delivering a specific set of data, of operational data, uh, the user uh, of the machine can work with. And uh, maybe the user has the wish to process that data on another place to get out additional information, additional value. And this is exactly the point yeah, where um, we need uh, more transparency yeah, um, on, on the kind of data uh, which has to be delivered on the operational uh, interface. This is the point which is somehow not that clear at the moment. I believe that if the obligation is uh, pushing the European Union machine producers to specify their operational data interfaces. And if I'm looking to the international market um, and a customer, an international customer has the possibility to buy two, uh, the machine from two vendors yeah, and one vendor is giving a clear picture about the operational data which could be retrieved from that machine. The machine is from a European Union manufacturer and on the other hand, another manufacturer from somewhere in the world giving no information about that, that it's very likely based on the data business, which could be uh, done with out of that operational data, that the customer says, okay, 
I would like to buy if the machines are equal in, in all the other aspects, uh, I will buy these machines from the European Union manufacturer. Yeah. Kier, let me come back to you with a, a question uh, from our audience that has come in. Uh, it's related to uh, cloud vendors who do not differentiate personal from non-personal data when transferred overseas. Instead of having potentially two different sets of data transfer requirements under the Data Act and the GDPR, Shouldn't data transfers complying with GDPR be presumed to comply with the Data Act? Um, oof. I don't know if I can definitively say yes or no to that one, but I do think that this question highlights an interesting difference between the Data Act and GDPR. Um, when I look at both of them, GDPR doesn't differentiate based off of the Digital Market Act's gatekeepers definition, whereas the Data Act does because it makes it, it excludes gatekeepers from being eligible third parties to receive shared data, though that they though they can get that data through other lawful means. Um, so while the Digital Markets Act may be GDPR compliant, I do think Data Act and data sharing in that regard and then gdpr data portability are going to overlap in practice um what that practically looks like i think is going to be entirely situationally dependent and because of that it's going to be something that all of us are going to look very closely at i know at least for me i'm quite curious to see that interaction because it's hard to theoretically define in my head until i've seen it play out in real life and i think thinking about this conversation before we can get past to the end stage of the Data Act is really important. A lot of what ifs still on the table, I think it's fair to say, um, at this stage of the legislative process. Antonio, another specific question coming in for you. Could you please elaborate on why the Commission has proposed the same data sharing regime for both B2B and B2C? Aren't there deep differences between the two? for example, exposure of trade secrets from v B2B and the volumes of personal data involved in B2C? Yes, so um, perhaps we can look at it from a different direction. Uh, why should they be necessarily separate? since the many of the issues that we find in B2B relationships when we're talking about data sharing also exist when we're talking about B2C. So legally speaking, there wouldn't be necessarily uh, a difference other than perhaps a completely new chapter that looks pretty much like the first one. So if we can combine both, and again, because we see many of the same issues happening in different constellations, Although this is not to say that the solution is the same every time, which is not the case, but um, there are specific parts of the Data Act that deal specifically with uh, B2B issues, um, Chapter 3, for instance, and others that deal with other kinds of relationships, um, B2G and Chapter 5, when we're talking about, uh, well, uh, businesses making data available to public sector bodies under uh, exceptional um, uh, circumstances. So it really, it really depends on what we're talking about here. Uh, there, there isn't a, nece a necessity to have uh, this split uh, unless we start talking about specifics. 
Thomas, let me ask you a, a sort of a, a leading question. Um, if we're going to talk about this sort of interaction with sectoral laws, what sectors are we needing to think about? And in terms of that as well, what sort of breakdowns if, of, of different sectors are we needing to think about? Um, one, one of our questions has asked, how can the data act be linked to the four sectoral data acts expected, vehicle related data, health data, and we are also specifically today thinking about SME manufacturers. Where do they fit into this whole complicated jigsaw? Let me, let me highlight one sector, yeah, um, which is really having a huge profit yeah, on that uh, data act. Yeah. Let's uh, go to the critical infrastructure. Yeah, I'm I'm in touch with uh, a lot of other CISOs uh, being responsible for critical infrastructure, and they have one specific problem, which should be addressed. We are talking about data, we are talking about transparency, but we should also talk about communication channels. What about uh, unwanted communication, and the obligation? to have transparency about what data is transferred over which communication interface. And also the point that the communication interface has to be specified and clear yeah, to the customer buying that system. That's one of the points. Yeah. So I'm addressing unwanted functions. Yeah. And if we have the data act, yeah, we can say we would like to have transparency on the communication channels and the data, which could be yeah, uh, uh, delivered from that specific uh, component or machine or health device, whatever. Yeah? So this is something which would be really important from the information security point of view. Because this obligation will affect all manufacturers delivering products to the European Union. Thank you. Um, again, obviously, uh, we have more questions for the Commission. Um, a couple around the gatekeeper prohibition, um, suggesting that it's locking users into services. Is there a middle ground to be found? Antonio, perhaps you could expand a bit on this topic. Um, I know we've only a few minutes left, but if you can give a brief overview of the thinking. Yes. Of course. Um, so indeed, I'll try to I'll keep it relatively short. The reasoning for the uh, exclusion of gatekeepers as eligible third parties is actually in line with many of the other proposals that we, of course, well know that the Commission has been putting forward for the past few years. This is essentially of ensuring, uh, for example, of a about a level playing field. We want to ensure that in a very perhaps pithy way that um, the data doesn't keep going to the data rich. We want to ensure that those who have lack of data, that are data poor, actually get uh, data. So we want to boost that uh, sector and specifically dealing, for example, with SMEs or even larger companies, because otherwise you will keep having, uh, well, the gravitational pull that uh, gatekeepers due to their nature really keep, um, keep uh, uh, receiving 
more and more data. And therefore, since this, as I mentioned earlier, data will be the infrastructure of the, the future data economy, we really have to uh, ensure that more uh, players in the data market actually get this data. So that is the thinking behind uh, this exclusion or this exemption of uh, gatekeepers as eligible third parties. But as Kira actually mentioned earlier, this does not mean that um, gatekeepers cannot get access to, well, IoT data by concluding or celebrating um, data sharing contracts directly and voluntarily with data holders. They just cannot rely on the mechanism that will be put in place by uh, the Data Act under Article 4 and 5. So that is the, the crux uh, of our um, thinking with regards to the gatekeepers in the Data Act. Well, we'll see what happens to that uh, through the Parliament and the Council discussions as well. Uh, any last comment, Antonio, from you before I ask our other panellists, because we're going to wrap up now. Well, um, very shortly, actually, uh, it was a really pleasurable uh, discussion. I hope to, to, to talk to you again very soon. Thank you so much to Euroactive as well for the invitation and to you, Jennifer, for the moderation. And just to emphasize, we are today at a pivotal time in the, the, in the data economy, and we really need to uh, seize this opportunity to uh, boost Europe's leadership position in this regard. So thank you. Thank you. I think we're all united on the aims. It's how we get there is the, is the question. Kier, final thoughts from you? Um, well, first, I want to thank all the other panelists for their insights. It's been really interesting hearing everybody's different points of view on this legislation. Um, if I could emphasize anything, it would be that narrow adjustments and clarifications in the Data Act can ensure that companies treat the European market as a more friendly market internationally and also ensure that data-driven data innovation really thrives in the EU. I think if that's the goal of the Data Act, I'm so looking forward to seeing the conversations and the evolution of this legislation, because with some adjustments here and there, the Czech presidency has given a couple that I think are quite nice. We can see a European data economy that is innovative and competitive internationally and is also able to get incredibly high-quality IoT startups off the ground. Well, that's the hope. And Thomas, final word or final closing thoughts from you. Yeah. Thank you very much uh, for inviting me and for your professional driving us through the discussion. It was a valuable discussion for me. And uh, yeah, transparency uh, is one of the benefits, but protecting the IPRs uh, of the existing uh, manufacturers that's one of the of the goals we should have. We should not give up uh, the uh, advantage uh, we have in the market. Uh, so we should see this data act as a as an instrument uh, to get more advantage on the international market, but also protecting the IPRs for for all the manufacturers. Uh. And what? state of the art cybersecurity should always be part of all the data operations yeah, we do. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Thomas, Kier, and Antonio, and of course, Pilar, who was with us there earlier. 
and for you, the audience, for sending us in some very tricky questions. I'm sorry we didn't have time to get to all of them, as is always the case with a new piece of legislation. There's a lot more questions than answers at this stage because we don't know how it's going to end up. But we at Your Active will, of course, be following that along throughout the entire process. Thank you also today to VDMA who are behind today's event and we hope to look closely at the sectors that we've raised today in future debates to come. Remember, you can follow using that hashtag EADebates for more on your active. With that, have a great day.